Hey, everybody. This is Alan Paris. Welcome to another episode of Clear to Close. We wanted to make one quick note before we jump in the episode. Uh, this episode was originally recorded several months back uh, at the TMC Winter Conference in New Orleans. So if you hear uh, mentions of going getting po'boys or getting drinks out or being at a conference with several hundred people, we promise the Clear to Close team is currently abiding by all uh, state and local ordinances on social distancing for COVID-19. And this was just looking back at the beautiful times we used to have when we could have uh, interpersonal relationships. So with all that said, please don't COVID shame us in the reviews of this episode, uh, but we hope you enjoy. Welcome everybody to another episode of Clear to Close. Uh, I'm your host, Alan Paris, joined by, as always, Brian Traeger, the wind to my fire, and Chelsea Mize, the earth to our fire in wind. Do you guys get it? Earth, wind, and fire. We're running, we're pulling on strings here. Uh, well, on this episode, we have uh, Kurt Reisig, the founder of American Pacific Mortgage, joining us, a self-proclaimed uh, student of his own weaknesses and someone who really fights for the loan officer. We, uh, we try to push him with some challenging questions, um, but this guy is someone who truly believes in the mortgage process uh, in the value of the loan officer at the end of the day. So um, I think something that's super interesting, whether you're leading a business or whether you're a loan officer yourself, um, I think you can get something out of it. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Kurt Bryson. Well, Kurt, uh, recently engaged? Recently engaged, yeah, Christmas Eve. Was there a, a fun engagement story or? Oh, gosh. I, I for, Yeah, I, I mean, it's all fun, right? Mm-hmm. That, uh, that it wasn't, uh, I didn't do the classic, you know, big production and somebody hiding in the bushes with <laughs> all that stuff. It was Christmas Eve, cold day down on the coast of California and the sun popped out for about an hour and I grabbed my girlfriend and took her down to the beach and uh, proposed to her uh, with you know, on one knee on, on the beach while the waves were crashing just oh, that's nice. next that's, to us. That's a pretty good so, spot to do it. I thought it was pretty good and it it uh, was her Christmas present. It was a big Christmas present, so it's me. <laughs> it saved me a lot of shopping. Right? I'd already I'd already spent a big chunk on the ring, so I figured, okay, I'm not going to go buy a bunch of this stuff. <laughs> so here you go. That's so, great. Yeah, it, I, uh, it was awesome. I'm I'm new I'm newly wed. Brian's engaged as well. Yeah. I think like you, the engagement process is funny to me because like you, so one, you go from calling girlfriend, and then you have you finally get fiance correct, and then you're getting married like in a month. I know. And then you have to I'm learn a completely new term. It's just if she ever listens to this, I'm not sure that's going to be good. But <laughs> I, yeah, I would like to have it a, a nice engagement period where we just enjoy being engaged. It's funny because the first thing out of everybody's mouth is, "When's the wedding?" And it's like, get just let us be engaged for a while. Right. We're not in any big hurry. There's you know, business stuff we got to take care of and things like that. And let's just enjoy being in, engaged. So that's I think I've got part. her pretty, that's the right pretty well bought do. into that idea of it which is yeah not 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 in a hurry to get married but what's what's the rush yeah. it's a fun period of time yeah we're we did a long engagement about a little bit over a year and a half and we got engaged and then we moved to a different state new city new jobs for us both we're like let's just relax a little bit um and wait to even begin to start planning. And that was the best decision we could have made because you could really enjoy it. Yep. Exactly. I was kind of opposite where I had 18 months of engagement and I think all it did was we used to start planning a wedding for 18 months. Yeah. I think we had like a week off. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. 
<laughs> yeah, no thanks. No yeah. thanks. So awesome. So how's the we're uh, we're at TMC in in New Orleans right now at the TMC conference. How's the conference been for you? So far, um, I, I, I always enjoy these conferences. I've kind of shifted my uh, um, thought process around conferences. I, I uh, you know, typically am at the mortgage banking conventions and conferences, uh, and and uh, historically mostly to uh, just build and sustain the relationships. As my company was grown over the years, I, uh, you know, was here, you know, with my, you know knee pads in place, begging for warehouse lines and yeah. trying to get Chase to give us an approval and, you know, all that kind of stuff you have to do when you're a young mortgage banker. And uh, over the last, you know, few years, we're at that point where we really don't, we don't need any more warehouse lines. We have the investor approvals that we need. And so there's not so much of that homage paying that I used to have to do at the MBA conventions. And so, you know, where that's taken me is that I've, I'm going to a little bit less of them now. And uh, about a year ago, I, I came to the first TMC conference. Um, and uh, it's just a refreshing experience, just a little bit different energy, a lot lot different energy uh, in, in the conference. It really is a more collaborative environment, um, not just because it's smaller, but, uh, you know, mostly what I'm, you know, the, the other people there are other independent mortgage bankers. Most of them quite a bit smaller than than our company, but to me it still seems like just yesterday that I was that guy or that gal. And what I really, what I get a lot out of is perspective in one hand, looking at what they're doing and how they're doing it relative to what I did. Um, but more importantly, these folks uh, have a, a really resourceful approach to problem solving. Uh, you know, one thing is you, you get bigger as a company, you have departments to do all these things that oftentimes for these guys, they're the IT department, they're, the compli- yeah. they're doing everything. But it also makes them much more uh, resourceful about finding solutions and, and uh, uh, just creating uh, unique solutions to, to challenges that companies like myself oftentimes just throw money at. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's refreshing just to, to back up and, and hear what they're doing and, and how they're doing it. Uh, and so I, I love uh, just coming into these conferences and asking a lot of questions about you know, what they're doing and listening to, to what they're doing. That's, that's really why I come. Yeah. Because I think, again, as a company gets bigger, um, it's very easy to become stratified and, and particularly for leadership to be, become disconnected from the, the challenges that are on the front end of the business. And uh, that to me is relevance. Yeah. And if I want to be relevant. How much do you guys think that you'll do this year? You know, 2020, I think is a crapshoot. It's, it, you know, everybody's on this this free ride that we got. <laughs> and and uh, uh, however long it lasts, knocking on wood here, it's been, it's, it's good. Uh, if if it tracks like it, it it appears to be, I think we'll end up uh, somewhere around twelve to thirteen billion this year. So we'll grow uh, production about fifteen percent, you know, over last okay. year. That's awesome. Uh, if we have a big run up in interest rates, then I think you know everybody's going to be singing a different song. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so as and when, because um, it's not if it's when that happens, uh, you know, I think you know we'll be well positioned. Yeah. So. 
I mean, based off the rate environment for kind of the past, I guess it's now close to eight months or so, there's six months, eight months, is that, that's made this huge flood of volume. Everyone's so busy, like underwriters, processors, loan officers, just completely slammed. Even executives are slammed. How do they, how do you think strategically or continue to think forwardly rather than being reactive and kind of just going with the volume of interest rates? Like as you think about what's really next for your company, how are you prioritizing that and making time for that? Well, that's a, that's a fully loaded question there. Um, you know, we have certain approaches and philosophies about how we manage our, our resources in, in the, our company. Um, it's been really helpful uh, and, and that we apply. So we, we always build about 25% what we call flexible and elastic, elastic workforce in our company. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, deploying uh, part-time people, contract people, uh, temp people, to help us um, when we have influxes of uh, you know of business, and then uh, um, we'll take overtime up to as much as tw- you know fifteen to twenty five percent before we go higher. That um, the flip side, for example, in two thousand you know eighteen nineteen, um, when things are tougher, uh, you know the temps and the contract uh, and. Uh, you know, some of the part-time folks, that's where we get cut back. And by the way, we tell them when we hire them, this is the nature of the job. And because of the nature of the business, this is kind of what you're stepping into. So we're very transparent with people just because we want to be fair to people and let them know this is the kind of job that you're taking. You can migrate out of that into another full-time job, but this is what you're stepping into. Um, and then we'll even go further, uh, like last year in, in Q1, um, we had uh, cut people's hours by 20% as opposed to doing a 20% riff. Um, and we primarily did that for humanistic reasons, but we also did it because we, we knew you know, that the market was going to come back, not because we knew that interest rates were going to go down, but we knew that we were going to begin aggregating production because, um, frankly, we'd navigated the, the tough year way better than most of our peers. And so we knew that the volume would be picking up. And so... When it did, which was great, um, I had about 35% capacity built in. So it brought people That's back nice. to full-time, yeah. redeployed the temps uh, contract in part-time, and then you know, deployed the overtime. And so uh, we, we really uh, fulfilled impeccably and didn't start to hit the wall with, okay, we're out. Of, of, of spare resources until uh, around August or so. And, and uh, so since, since then, we've, we've had to do some additional hiring. Uh, we've had to expand our management team uh, to and, you know, groom new leaders to handle all the, the influx of, of people. And, uh, uh, you know, we ask a lot of our management team as well. So uh, uh, I'm sure, you know, everybody's you know, working hard, but there's a... a significant expectation on the part of our company for to management to step up in those times when, when they need to step up yeah. and, and we and we reward them for it we, yeah. we allocate a, a big chunk of our profitability to uh, to recognize those those contributions but uh, it's, um, it's amazingly say if you compare um, this year or you know 19 early 20 to uh, 16 when we were almost as busy 16 was a just a crazy show and 19 was pretty smooth. Yeah. And it 
it still is. So that is strategically you found a way to turn your business a little bit into that variable nature so that you could forecast and plan and be ready for the reactions when the volume does come. And that solves the human capital nature of, of strategic thinking with the business. How do you figure out other aspects, whether it be technologically, capital markets? Like you said, you're not going to the conference anymore to, to beg for basis points or better terms on the line. Um, how do you think about the like those kind of other macroeconomic factors that influence your business? Boy, another another big one. Um, well, first of all, uh, I've got really good people that uh, uh, run those you know various areas for our company. Our our, our COO uh, Keith Becker, our, our e- EVP of of, uh, of secondary, you know Cheeto Schnoop. They're 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 just some of the most capable people. Uh, in the industry, um, and uh, you know the secondary side, um, it, it's complex. I mean, you need some of the smartest people in in the room. She can barely be in the room with me because I'm just this Cretan monoster on steroids. <laughs> right? um, but she, they, they, it's it's all about math and execution. It's all about discipline and execution, and, and uh, our people do a great job. I think that, you know in this in the realm of secondary, the more challenging part is. You know, just dealing with uh, the the competitive you know aspects of the business today. Pricing is 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 always uh, under assault by competitive pressures, and and uh, uh, you know how do you how do you, you deal with all the the yin and yang of, of, of what's going on with with pricing? And this last year, part of how we dealt with that is we um, it's not my intention to plug us, but we we got really creative about uh, how we provide concessions. To our loan officers, so that they, without all the brain damage, they got to go through in, yeah. in most cases. Um, and we've even opened up, you know, allowing people to uh, broker bid. Because when you talk about secondary, to me, the bigger issue right now is is pricing pressure. Right. Right. It's not just margin pressure, because you know, mar- another whole story. No. <laughs> you know, margin pressure is here to stay. It's uh-huh. it's not a temporary thing. I don't I think the margins that. are ever gonna come back to where they were in sixteen. Um, and so now it's just how do you contend with the pricing pressure that's mm-hmm. being brought by broker community and by you know the big you know PE firms that have gotten into our business that seem to have very deep pockets to to try to buy market share and so you know independent mortgage bankers have to respond to that and so we've just done a lot, a lot of really creative things to uh, empower our loan officers to still win the deals so that's kind of the story on on secondary on. On the technology side of things, um, again, we, we've stayed focused on uh, our primary focus has been on the uh, the productivity and the experience that our, our loan officers have in in doing business with American Pacific. Our, our, our orientation, our position in the marketplace is the loan officer, the branch manager, they're the customer, and it's not like our uh, advertising logo. Our our entire you know cultural structure in the company is built around that position in the marketplace mm-hmm. uh, and so uh, you know our investments in technology tools resources operation workflow is all designed towards that now the byproduct then ends up becoming creating a great experience for the consumer um, but the way we look at it is if we're not creating a great experience for our employees how the hell do we expect them to create a great experience for the consumer that's true. So we start there, and and uh, so the technology investments and things that we've done, uh, you know, operationally have been designed 
around that objective. So when you build that type of funnel of you know the experience from within to get to the experience without, um, you also at the same time you mentioned that a lot of your success as a company and you probably individually is a result of the people that you have around you. Um, the other tidbit that I heard you say was that you're like an, an LO on steroids. So taking all of those and combining them, how how do you see others become an executive of a mortgage company who did start as a loan officer or as an underwriter or processor and get through to the point where they become you? How, how do you foster that or how do you suggest those who, who are a top producer who want to take that next leap do? Yeah, it's it's great question. I mean, and I get asked that periodically. I think uh, I was just sharing this with someone yesterday. I think the most important thing that I've always done is to be a student of my weaknesses and uh, to uh, pragmatically, uh, sometimes with brutal honesty, acknowledge the, the weaknesses, the areas where my knowledge uh, or just my interest is not uh, you know, adequate to get the job done. And then, you know, always being prepared to go out and hire someone smarter than me and uh, in empowering them to do the job. While at the same time, um, recognizing that there's a lot of areas where I can't do that. Like, I can't delegate my responsibility to become a better leader. I can't delegate my responsibility to be the best human being that I aspire to be. And those are things I want to do for myself Anyway, so I got to own that part of it. Uh, but secondary example or operations, uh, you know, two great examples. I, I don't have any interest in the going into the depths of that business. Um, and uh, I'm, the, my organization is served better. So, uh, you know, through the history of our company, you, you know, the, the leaps that we've made. And again, I, there's... Lots of guys that are bigger and deeper pockets than me, and you know we've done okay. Uh, and uh, the the leaps that we have made have come as a consequence uh, to a large degree of me seeing I'm not good at that, or we don't have that competency, um, and uh, it, making sacrifices. In some of the earliest ones, I took massive pay cuts to hire people that could do those things. Um, and, you know, bring them in. I'm actually, you know, I'll segue, but, you know, I tell loan officers the same thing. You know, the, the biggest challenge um, that I see with a lot of loan officers in their relationship with their company is they, they become too dependent upon the company to provide them with the resources they need. And if, if I only had this, I could grow. If I only had that, I could grow. And, and I had the same, uh, you know, feeling as a loan officer Yet what I said was, if I had that, I could grow. I'm going to spend my own money and do it now, right? The same thing. What are my what are my weaknesses? When I hired my first assistants and I expanded up to three or four assistants, because I used to do typically forty to fifty loans a month. You can't do that much wow. volume yeah. unless you become highly specialized in what you were doing. And I intentionally crafted my my whole workflow so I could focus on that thing that I did the very best and then created a, a, a team. And so I, I tell loan officers is don't give your company or your branch manager your power, right? Your power is, you know, you have a paycheck 
and, and don't let them tell you you can't do something because you expect them to pay for it. If you know it's going to help you do more production, you pay for it. And then once you prove it out, then you can go to your branch manager and say, hey, I'm doing the volume. Will you pay for this now? And any smart guy out there is going to say, hell yes, I'll pay for that. And I'll pay for the next person, and too. I'll pay for the next one, too. It's that leap. And that's yeah. so... And it's thinking you know, about your, your... It's thinking of your... As a loan officer, thinking about you as a business rather than you as like a, a sales representative. Like absolutely. You're, you have can make intelligent business decisions and investments on your own part to grow your business. Yeah, I mean, it, do it a little bit deeper with that. I know I'm off on a big segue, but you know. I, we love I, segues on I, this, I, so you're good. I encourage loan officers to, to calculate what their hourly wage is. So what did you make last year? How many hours did you work? And, and what is that hourly wage? And then to, to periodically go then back to their workflow, their, what they do, and then calculate the economic value of the different tasks they have to perform in their in their day-to-day work. And then identify those where they could could delegate or hire someone for the least amount of dollars to do that job. Then take the hours they capture, focus on the high productivity uh, uh, activities, and their income and their production will grow. But A, it takes a little bit of science, you know, not really technical science, but you got to sit down and do that. And B, when you get that extra six hours, you know, to spend, you know, take two of it and get home for dinner early, one or two nights a week, take the other four and sell. And if you're not able to generate more income than what you gave up, you're probably not really doing the job. You're probably not either a good salesman or you're not putting your time appropriately. So, uh, you know, I'm not a scientific guy. I can't, you know, navigate, I can barely navigate email, but I can do math. You know, that's, that's my job as a financial advisor is doing math and then saying, okay, well, I'm doing $10 an hour stuff. That's dumb. Yeah. I make $200 an hour. So I'm going to go do this. So it's a looping back to the, the original question, which is, you know, how did we grow? And my advice to people is always be a student of your weaknesses. And then for me, it's uh, every periodically there I find that I have new weaknesses. So yeah. my entire company is one big manifestation of the universe of all of my weaknesses, <laughs> which like the universe continues to expand. Right? <laughs> and so I find new weaknesses every day. And my responsibility is not to let my company suffer because my ego won't allow me to acknowledge what I'm weak at. Yeah. I want to dive a little bit deeper into the responsibility of the loan officer we, you know, millennials are always talked about. It's always a hot topic. The fact of the matter is they are one of the largest um, uh, buyer markets for uh, for loans now. I think there's a lot of history built inside of the millennial of what they experienced in 2008 during the housing crisis and a general lack of trust of financial services and even for the loan officer. You know, do they truly have my best interest in in this process? The benefit is when you look at the data is millennials want that expert in the buying process. Um, how much of the loan officers, is it the loan officer's responsibility to help build that trust again with this market? Or is it the lender or is it the industry as a whole? Boy, I think it's a, a bit, you know, all the above, starting at the top. I think, you know, the industry uh, has a responsibility to, um, uh, to I think, to shape the image of the industry. Um, 
And uh, I think that's really difficult right now because, again, there's, there's major capital players that are coming into the business. And even companies, you see them shifting. And their objective is to really commoditize the process. And, and so by commoditizing, effectively dehumanizing the process, they're not helping that cause, right? They're, they're, they're um, projecting and, and extending this idea that um, getting a home loan uh, is no different than buying a refrigerator at, at Best Buy. And it would, I, I just, just emphatically disagree that it should be as simple as you know buying a refrigerator. It, it's not. It's, it's a much more complex. Even if a 30-year fixed rate loan isn't complex, how you choose to deploy your down payment, uh, whether you get an MI, there's, there are more and more nuances than, than um, meet the eye. And so I think uh, the, the part of the industry has to, to you know, uh, decide where it wants to go. And I think right now it's conflicting because we have the guys that want to commoditize it and we have guys like us that still believe that the, the role of the loan officer and, and uh, the company in um, uh, creating a, the right experience for this generation, is, is, uh, that's the big opportunity we have. I think uh, the loan officer, though, has a, a big role in that. And, uh, you know, and what, the, what his company has to do is provide the technology to communicate with the consumer the way, the way they want to be communicated, mm-hmm. and at the same time provide the loan officer uh, the loan originator with the the knowledge that they need uh, to serve folks well. And if we want to be a trusted financial advisor, then we have to live and walk and breathe being a financial advisor. I talk about doing math. It's that, you know, it, it, there's there's a craft that needs to be learned. It's not just about the transaction; that it's about the knowledge and transfer of that knowledge to the consumer to make them to allow themselves to make that decision. Absolutely. And, and when you, we become the, a means to provide them with that knowledge and information, yeah. then um, you know, that, I think, helps us build trust. And then the other part that we all have a, a responsibility for is you know, creating a great experience. You know, our, our whole brand uh, mantra is creating experiences that matter. And, and so you know, we're trying to create not just an experience about buying a home, but a, a, a um, you know, a milestone experience in a person's life or financial life, which we do for, for a lot of folks. And so we, we, uh, while it, there's always going to be the, the arduous aspects of, of getting a home loan, at the end of the day, our, our, our objective is to make people feel really good about what they did. And, and we're just, we played a role in it. So it's not about us. It's about acknowledging the consumer, that homeowner is like, look what you did. Yeah. Thank you for letting us help you. Yeah. Right? And by doing that, we think uh, that those types of experience will, will resonate. And, uh, uh, you know, our loan officers will you know, have the opportunity to, to carve out a space in a world that's, you know, still it, trying to. It's got to continue to get harder, though. I mean, like it, you talked about some lenders trying to commoditize it. One of the lenders that is com- trying to commoditize it has a multi-multi-million dollar marketing campaign. Mm-hmm. And it gets inundated. And as consumers, and like especially people coming in to just starting to think about buying a home, when you see that on TV, you say, okay, well, if, if, they, can, if they can do it through an app or a button or whatever it is, 
why should I pay a loan off? Why should I give, you know, a loan officer extra money to help me do it? Right. And it's like that, that campaign's not going anywhere. There truly is value in the loan officer. Like, but those, but it's hard to, uh, kind of consult or like bring everybody together to, to fight that gravitational force. The same thing's true with the real estate agent too. You say, Hey, I know all the houses that are up for sale in my neighborhood. I want to go see these three. You go see them. I want to make an offer on this one. Why am I paying a real estate agent? 6%, yeah, I 3%, work. I you know what I wanted. And yeah. So that's what we're, the, the, what we're trying to say, I think is, there's some confusion in the value of that loan officer. There's confusion on the consumer's behalf, like the first time home buyer, um, because of what's happened in the past with call it their, their parents' house or their parents' mm-hmm. 401k and financial institutions in general. Um, but there's confusion now with the disruption in the real estate brokerage market and how that comp structure has changed. And then you bring this technology of the one click, get mortgage type of thing. And you're sitting there like, well, gosh, I don't know what to do. And then, one of my favorite analogies of of the commission structure and mortgages is uh, the NBA, the National Basketball Association. Uh, their players make 50% of the revenue generated from basketball operations. And in loan officer terms for a mortgage company, most likely it's around 40%. Mm-hmm. And there's not very many NBA players because there's a short supply of tall people and a super athletic people. But there's a ton of loan officers. What? It just kind of, it's it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think that uh, the loan officer is going to have uh, his and her work cut out for them to uh, establish that value. I believe that the value is there. I think that, that someone who you know, engages with a very friendly and well-meaning uh, but completely inexperienced you know, person from a call center uh, in getting a mortgage is, is missing out on the opportunity to really, you know, optimize um, their financial decisions. Um, and, and while again, a 30-year loan may seem like it's simple, but there's a lot more nuances to, you know, how you put much down and, and whether or not you should stretch yourself to that, to the nth degree to get that, to get that house. And so then a loan officer, again, has to become truly, uh, you know, a, a student of, of finance and a student of the economy and, and to really add value to that. Because if, if they're all they're doing at the end of the day is providing a face-to-face delivery of the same product, then, you know, uh, then people are going to be happy to go online and do that. Just like they're happy to buy their toilet paper from Amazon and they have it shipped. You know, yeah. personally, I prefer to walk into Whole Foods <laughs> because I get to have the experience of Whole Foods, Right. Not everybody dollar's still to going go to there. Bezos at the end of the day, though. What's that? Your dollar's still going to Bezos at the end of the day, though. Exactly. Right? <laughs> Damn it. So, Got myself. So uh, I think that you know, yeah. So that's and that's you know that's the position of our company is that you have to create incredible experiences. You have to provide the technology and the communication channels that they're they're looking for in the process. But uh, your your uh, your your people have to bring the value, and they have to. You know, they have to also be representative, you know, of, of the market. Yeah, you, you I think to. experience is the right word. Like, it, you, if you focus on truly what the, the experience that someone's getting, that's what leads to referrals and friends talking about the great experience that they had. You know, we had um, Ernie Graham on the show as well uh, previously, and he talked heavily about, like, this financial advisor role that a loan officer can play. Like, it's the largest 
financial purchase you'll have in your portfolio, the majority of your wealth when you come to retirement, like the loan officer can add a ton of value in building that experience of how, like, how should you think about this as a portfolio purchase rather than just yeah. getting keys to a house? Exactly. Exactly. And that's how distributive retail is going to, to stand out. That's our, that's our, that's our space. Yeah. So we're, we're, we'll never uh, be able to go toe to toe, you know, with rocket mortgage and their like, and they have budgets and they also have a different strategy. See, I don't need to be, I don't need to be coming into everybody's living room. I need to create a strategy to have influence and awareness just in the markets, you know, I'm in. And I think there's there's ways that we can engage in our communities and leverage social media and other avenues to be known uh, within the industry in our communities um, and and remain relevant and and uh, and that's what we've done and we're going to have to you know we're going to have to continue to fight uh, you know for that. It sounds like you set a pretty high bar for your loan officers and your sales teams to be able to create that experience and deliver that knowledge. So you also look at the industry as a whole and not saying that you guys are an average company by any means, but the averages say that there's 34% turnover of salespeople and mortgage year over year. So when you have this really high bar of standards that you want to deliver to the customers in your market, and then you have this turnover number, is, is that a function? Why is that turnover so high? Do you guys have, have you have experience with that type of high amount of turnover and how do you keep that bar and keep raising that bar for those people? Yeah, that's well. You know, we we set high standards for our folks, and, and we also uh, uh, we bring them along. We don't we don't uh, you know might make them march to our beat in everything they do. There's a lot of different styles of people and a lot of different styles of consumers, and we recognize that um, while there may be some universality to the tools and the knowledge we'd like them to have, there's also uh, different styles. So, for example, a very technical person is going to want technical information and delivered in a technical way. That's or right. someone who's very uh, uh, relational is going to. It's going to be more important to build the relationship with the consumer and the consumer that wants that. So, I think that we have to be adaptive in, in how we deliver that. Uh, and and uh, and the, but I believe that the best loan officers uh, that that are able to grow their business not only use our tools but really focus on adding value with, you know, with financial knowledge. And so, you know, the turnover, as to the turnover issue, um, historically, uh, you know, we haven't seen that level of turnover. I think, you know, depending on the company, uh, 2018 was a high water mark for our company and it had, you know, less to do with our company, more to do just with the, what's taking place in the business. Um, in 2018, really uh, was when um, it, uh, the, the industry really was cannibalizing itself mm-hmm. right? it, it, and, and uh, because you know volume went down so significantly um, the response on many uh, folks part was to to uh, elevate their loan officer compensation uh, signing bonuses uh, you know all kinds of you know crazy things Lamborghinis that, in the driveway pardon me <laughs> Lamborghinis in the driveway. <laughs> Yeah, a, a lot of a lot of crazy stuff, and the byproduct of that has been, of course, companies' margins have you know suffered profoundly mm-hmm. as a re- result of that. And we've given you know a, a tremendous amount of the, the the power and influence in the industry to the loan officer. And make no mistake, um, again, as a former loan officer, you know the, those guys that go out in the street and get that is 
the hardest job in the business. Yeah. There's the no if ands, or buts about it. There's other guys that are going out on Saturdays and Sundays, sitting in open houses. They're the ones whose phones are blowing up when the consumer gets their disclosures on Sunday night and they don't understand them. It's a hard job. But the dynamic in the industry has kind of uh, shattered uh, what should be a, a healthier partnership between a company and the loan officer. That this environment of, of uh, uh, companies providing you know, constant affirmation that they have you know, this excessive amount of, of negotiating power in the business has um, created to some degree a bit of, of uh, complacency in that side of the business mm-hmm. around um, how are we, t- you know, because with a challenge, we got to do it together. It, so I can no longer as a company provide all the things they need to beat the online guys uh, unless we sit at the table together and say, how are we going to do this together? And it's a function of product. It's a function of price. It's a fun- you know, all those things. But if I, if I can't negotiate in good faith with the loan officer, then we both are going to lose. Yeah. And, and that's the dynamic that's been created that, that is uh, the most probably dysfunctional um, uh, byproduct of what's happened in 18 and 19. You've done a really good job of defending the loan officer. And we like to talk about the loan officer a lot because our listeners, are a lot of them are loan officers. Yeah. And we, I, I'm a fan of, of asking some of these tough questions. So, you know, our listeners can, can look in the mirror a bit and say, hey, is this something I want to do? What can I do to level up? And listening to you and have this strong defense for the loan officer and the processes is, is, is wonderful. And I hope people take that in stride. I have a challenging one for you to continue on this uh, Bring it. on this question. Okay, um, so we all know that loan officers are like the lifeblood of the organization. But then, why is it that everyone in the organization—maybe not everyone, but a lot of people in the organization—who's not a loan officer has a cynical view of them? And there's this battle between sales and operations, and all of these things. And and you see it at the conferences. You see it. All, all, all over, I think. And can you describe that? And how absolutely. do you impact that as a company? And things? Yeah, a- absolutely. And and, and uh, it, it's classic, right? It, it's the it's the dynamic. It's always been there. You know, you've had, and, and it's not just in our business, but you know, sales and operations yeah, oftentimes find themselves is absolutely you know, the, the operations people all believe that without them, that the, then the salespeople would not have anything to sell. And the salespeople would say, yeah, what are those idiots in operations? That, you know, right. I, if, if they didn't have me, me they would have it. And so um, there is there is that constant constant battle uh, that goes on between sales and operations. And I think, you know, our, our quest, in, in what I, we believe is, you know, that everything we can do to harmonize that uh, is going to create you know, a better outcome, you know, for the consumer, the, 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 home, the home buyer. Uh, and and uh, I'm not sure. I have to go here because talk about what what we've done in our company. Mm-hmm. So you know we we focused intensely on our, our company culture, our values, our market position, uh, and and their their formal aspects of our company. Uh, and so our our market position, and it's all over every wall in our building, is that we do we got to do everything we can to make our loan officer and branch manager look good. And then how we translate that to the to operations people is just to help them understand, just pragmatically that 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 uh, these guys are our customers, and unless they have loans to bring in, there really is no need for you. And it's not about a hierarchy. It's not about that you know operations is is subordinate to these guys. It's just more of a pragmatic recognition that 
that they're the ones that, that bring in the business that these folks get to, to work on. Sometimes I even break it down to when I'm, you know, because we have an orientation for all of our new folks. And sometimes I just get real simple. I say, you know, um, if you walk into, you know, a, a sandwich shop and the line is long and the service is unfriendly. And then when you get your sandwich, it's not very good. Do you go back? Of course not. Right. Well, we sell sandwiches. Right. So how we provide our service or our operational fulfillment to our producers and the realtors that they deal with, and then ultimately their consumers, you know, it's no different than somebody buying a sandwich. If, if it's crappy and we make them wait and, you know, all those things, they're not going to come back. They're not going to stay. And so um, by really intellectually helping people grasp the reality of that, as opposed to saying you're an underwriter, so you're a schlep and the producer who oftentimes, you know, uh, you know can be challenging is well supreme. Said. That's that's not the case because and then we overlay all of that with our values of respect and transparency. So clarity, straight talk, um, and and treating each other with with mutual respect. So when your values drive your behaviors, um, then the positioning part just becomes just hey, that's it's just a pragmatic reality. And and uh, so that's been you know years of working, and that's what it takes in an organization to bridge that gap is helping people understand um, that in a context that's not about um, whether you value one constituency over another. That's not what it's about. That's my best shot at that. (laughs) I like it. I like it. That was a good one. I think that's a good enough one to end on. We uh, we really appreciate your time. Uh, Love just the the straightforward and and honest uh, uh, kind of opinions that you have. And, And super thankful for you to join us here today. Yeah. Honored to have the opportunity. It's, uh, I say very often in some of my LinkedIn posts, you know, I wake up every day thinking about how I can fight for loan officers uh, because I would not be here uh, in this position if it weren't for the work of loan officers waking up every day and the operations people who get the work done for them. But it's the hardest job in a business. And so um, I wake up fighting for loan officers every day, and that's, that's what they pay me to do. So I'll keep doing it. I think you succeeded in that today. You fought for him. Thanks. Appreciate it, guys. You're welcome. Thanks for coming. Before we end the show, we wanted to give a huge thanks to the company that makes this all possible, Maxwell. Beyond being our beloved employer, Maxwell is a digital mortgage platform and network designed specifically for small to mid-sized mortgage lenders to excel with technology and services that are game-changing for their business. Unlike other tech, Maxwell believes in empowering, not replacing humans, It takes a fundamental stance that people are critical to a powerful relationship in business. If you take myself and Brian and Chelsea away, the rest of the team at Maxwell is a team of rock stars who are absolutely obsessed with making sure our customers not only survive, but thrive in these times. To learn more all about how Maxwell can fit into your process and help your business grow, please visit www.highmaxwell.com or email Meet Max at HiMaxwell.com. All right, another episode of Clear to Close in the books. I'm kind of tired of doing outros, and I'm getting pretty hungry right now. So, Brian, take it away. Well, now that we're talking about food, I miss those biscuits from this morning. They were good biscuits. Ooh, I think we should go get some shrimp po'boys and send this up episode off. Mm, we are in New Orleans, so when in New Orleans. <laughs>
Let's go. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. As always, uh, listen, subscribe, download uh, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Apple, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, whatever it is. Uh, And also give us a review if you get a second. We'd love to hear what you're thinking about the show and any ideas for future shows. uh, We're all ears. Uh, To get other episodes, uh, feel free to visit www.highmaxwell.com slash podcast for all of our past episodes. And you can listen in your browser. And um, and then while you're over there, our blog and our resource section is over there. So we don't just uh, spit beautiful... uh, words on a podcast i was gonna say lyrics and and but that doesn't work spit hot fire. But we don't spit uh only words we actually write them down or chelsea writes them down yeah. um so feel free to check out our blogs and our ebooks uh along the way as well as always thank you so much out that's clear cloud that's clear cloud